You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Hey, good to see you here today. Are you welcome to come on in and get out of the heat? I mean, the summer has arrived, hasn't it? It is a little boiling outside there. It's just a, an amazing, uh, just kind of getting warm here for the summer. Uh, I want to think, how many of you in this room, you're runners? Like you run at some point in your life. Like, yes, my friends, none of us. So, um... A lot of you are runners and you kind of run, but like, that's like intentional running, right? Because really, that kind of running is like a fast jog, unless you're in an actual race where you're a sprinter. Now, a sprinter wouldn't consider themselves just a runner. They would can say, I'm a sprinter. But what they do is you, you run. Some of you run for exercise. Some of you run long distances. Some of you would do a marathon. Uh, but I want you to think for a moment about the last time you ran because you got pranked or you were scared. It might have been a long time ago. Some of us in this room were like, I can't even think of the last time I ran. It's just been that long. But think of the last time you ran because you were pranked or you were scared. Uh, me and my brothers, when we were growing up, we in our backyard had a, a little grass area. And then around the grass area was a rod iron fence that stood about maybe this high. And uh, it had, you know, like those just black rod irons going everywhere. And uh, we decided that part of that fence early on when we were kids, we just determined what was the goal for soccer and what wasn't. And year after year, we just pounded that fence till all the rod irons were bowed on the back. And then as we got older and got into like, uh, you know, junior high and high school, we would drill the ball. And every now and then one of those would just go bing. And then we'd hit it again, and then, the, you know, it'd just pop out. By the time we left the house, there was a perfect goal-shaped wrought iron fence missing all of its posts uh, in our backyard. And we would run around, we would play, we would get just really hot, and uh, that's what it was like growing up for us. And, and early on when we moved in the house, we used to get hot outside, then we would run inside, we'd track in a bunch of grass, then we'd run back outside. And then we'd run inside and track in a bunch of grass, and we'd run back outside. And finally, my mom said to my dad, she goes, you know, up near the wall at the top end by that wrought iron fence, there's a hose. And maybe we could just go off that water line and do a little, like, drinking fountain so that we keep the boys, they get hot, they just get a drink outside, and they keep all the grass and everything outside. So that's what they did. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, apparently we still lived. Uh, I'm not sure if that water was potable or not, you know, or whatever. Nowadays, we're like, hey, we made it. That's all I know. All I know is we made it from just the hose water. And, uh, and so we would just, you know, do that, and, and this little bib would come up, and you'd lean over, and you would turn the little handle, and you'd drink from the drinking fountain when you were hot. And as you're there in your peripheral vision, you can see the ground, right, because you're bending over, you're drinking from the hose, uh, drinking from the, the spigot. And as you're doing that, you can see the ground. And there was this hose that looked like that right next to, you know, next to us, because that's where it was wrapped up when we had to spray some things off, and that was right next. So uh, I'm, I'm one day, I'm drinking, and I'm, I'm leaning over, and as I'm leaning over, there's just this thing in your mind, you know when your mind tells you something's not right but you don't know what it is yet? Like your sixth sense has gone off and you're just like, something's not right but you're not sure what it is. So I'm just, I'm thirsty so I'm drinking, right? I'm just like down there drinking, I'm drinking and all of a sudden I look at the hose and it looks like this. <laughs> I go, ah, the hose is not supposed to move, right? But it does and I'm like, ah, and so I just like book it. Like we scream, my brothers don't even know what's wrong. They follow me because all they know is this is not a normal reaction. So we go, ah, and we run from there into the house because we run from the snake into the house. How many of you own snakes? You're weird people. <laughs> Love it, no, they're awesome. But unless you know, you don't know what kind it is and then they're not awesome. And I grew up in the suburb of Los Angeles. There's no open space. 
There's no like the snake just wanders in your yard and here's the snake. We have no idea what it was at the time. And we go running in. So we run from the snake. We run into the safety of the house, into the security of the house. My dad is home. He kind of comes out. He looks at it. He goes, that's just a king snake. And it's starting at this point. It's now wandering off. And, and there's this moment where you just go absolutely like berserk because you realize you're going to run from the danger, from what you're scared of, and you're going to run into where you think safety is. And that's what we do. We get startled. And, and, and I don't know who had a worse day, us by getting scared by the snake, or the snake for disappointed romantic hopes. Like, yeah, that was a counterfeit. That thing didn't work, right? You and I are encouraged at times in life to run. We're encouraging the Bible to run. It talks a lot about running. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. If you have your Bible, open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 in the New Testament. Here's why you need this sermon. You need this sermon because I want God to strengthen and encourage you that he loves you and that his power is available to you as you begin to fight temptation, as you begin to work through impossible situations, and as you work through the big obligations that you have in your life, that God loves you, his power is actually available to you to make a real difference in your life. That's my hope. That's my prayer for you. That is what Paul's hope and Paul's prayer is for Timothy as he is writing from prison to Timothy, this young pastor, this young minister in the city of Ephesus. Well, Paul is already instructed on the importance of studying the word of God, studying the Bible, pursuing right living, that you and I, as we talked about last week, we participate with God's work. We become a worker who participate with God's Holy Spirit working in us to pursue righteousness, to grow more and more in the image of Jesus. That we become less like our flesh, less like us, and we become more and more those who live and walk like Jesus would walk as God begins to transfer us, transform us from the inside out. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and the first thing he says in 2 Timothy 2, 22, he says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the first thing he says, if you're taking notes today, is run away from evil desires and run toward righteousness, right? You're going to run away from the snake, and you're going to run into the safety of the house. So you're running from something, but you're running towards something else. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you get that? I, I don't think you do. I don't think you exactly get that. See, listen, I am a middle child. And as a middle child, I want you to understand that it is completely possible to flee an angry brother who is running after you. At the same time, that you are angry and in hot pursuit of another brother that you want to harm. It's completely possible to run from something, but be in hot pursuit of something else. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I don't think you do. I think some of you understand running. I think some of us in this room are very good at running. We're very good at running from something but we're not very good at running towards something better. 
We run from something, but we're not running towards something. We just try to get away from something. Some of you in this room, you would say, that, listen, I- I'm, I'm good at running. I've run away from a bad relationship, but I've run only to get into another relationship that's not based on Jesus. I didn't run toward Jesus. I just ran away. I ran away, and then I got myself together. How many of you be honest in this room? Your first reaction, if you have to run away from something, is to try to get yourself together, get your act together on your own first. How many of you are like me, right? You're going to run away. You're gonna, oh, let me just get it together. Let me just get, get myself together and stabilize life. So sometimes we run from things, but we don't run toward Jesus. So what do we do? When you do that, this is what happens. You got to follow me here. What happens is you're going to run away from something, right? And you go, ah, and you run, and you run, and you run, and you go in a circle, and you come all the way back, and you bump into yourself. Because you ran away from something, but you didn't change who you are. You didn't change who you are focused on, and you ran back into yourself. Some of you are good at running away from something, but not running toward something better. Do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes you and I have run away from maybe one addiction and ran smack into another. We've traded one relationship for another. We've traded one thing that we think will give us significance in life and run away from the thing that disappointed us only to find out that what we focused on new will not satisfy the deepest parts of our heart. We're good at running. But Paul tells Timothy, this young man, to run away from something and run towards something even better. My my brother years ago uh, had a dog and they adopted the dog from, like, the, the animal hospital, the kennel, right? And, and the dog only had one eye. It was a little white dog about this big. It looked like a little miniature, like, husky, but it only had one eye. And so one eye is sewn shut, right? And they had a pool. And so every now and then we'd be in the pool and playing around. And they'd bring the dog in the pool. Any of you bring your dog in for a swim? Come on. This is awesome, right? So your dog goes in the pool. And, uh, but the, the dog only had one eye. So when the dog gets in the pool and it wants to get out of the pool, it swims toward the shore, The problem is when you only have one eye, you don't have depth perception. So the dog would swim like this. Shore, 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 shore. Because everywhere it looked, there was the edge, the deck of the pool, and it would swim toward it, but it didn't realize without the other eye that it just wasn't. Literally, if, if we didn't take Igloo out of the pool, Igloo would have drowned. Some of you do that. Some of you are always looking for the thing to change your circumstances, the thing to save you, that you want to get away from your past. You want to get away from evil desires of youth. You want to get away from the bad, but you're not swimming towards something. You're not running towards something. You've got single vision and no depth perception. So Paul says to Timothy, listen, there's a both and. There's a flee, a run away, and a pursue, a run toward something better. So he says it's both and. So what are some of the evil desires of youth that you and I need to run away from? And and guaranteed, there's some of us in this room, we're not youth anymore. We're older. And, And there's some of you in this room like, I am so glad I don't have to worry about the evil desires of youth any longer. And then you read a book like Every Man's Battle that says, have you ever heard the word dirty old man? And you realize the evil desires of youth are not just for the youth. That there is a culture, an entire culture right now, that are older people running after the same desires as youth. The same desires of their youth. 
Our whole culture is older trying to get younger, and our whole culture is taking young people and trying to get them to grow up way too fast. We're pursuing the evil desires of youth. When we start seeing children in our culture pursuing the evil desires of youth when they're still children... When we see adults trying to neglect their responsibilities and live young and free again, what's happening? Human nature is happening. People are pursuing sin. We are running from some things, but we're running to others. And Paul understanding this dynamic and telling this young pastor, you need to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue something better, saying teach the people that you're working with to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue something better. You're to run away from something. You're to run towards something else. Well, what are some things that the Bible talks about you and I ought to run from? Well, one of the first things is sexual sin. You say, Dave, did you just pick that out of a hat, like of all the sins? No, no, no. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Timothy, by the way, would have read this verse. Because as the book, the letters of Paul would go to churches, they understood them as scripture right away, and they would transfer around. It wasn't just for you to hold and to read for your one church, but it's to go to the network of churches. So Timothy would have read this letter already to the church in Corinth where Paul wrote, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now I want you to hold that verse up there for just a moment. Because there's a statement in there that might raise a question mark for some of you. It says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. Well, is that true? I mean, what about gluttony? What about drug addiction? What about self-harm? There are other sins that actually affect the body, but Paul's point is this. He's saying, while most sins seem outside the body, things like gossip, things like if you murder somebody, it's kind of outside or whatever. All these other things, they'll say it's kind of out there. It's outside your body. But he's saying sexual sin has unique consequences that affect not only the body, but our heart, our person, our soul. And he would give examples. He didn't have to give examples, but you might think of ones like this. That sexual sin has unique consequences like it might be an unwanted pregnancy. Uh, It might be emotional attachments to other people that you feel like you just can't break. It might be comparisons in later relationships in your life. It might be that you devalue yourself or you use other people or that you let other people use you and and you allow abuse to happen to you. Uh, There's all sorts of things. Or you abuse other people. That there are these things that, that are actually that affect your heart, affect your soul, affect your body. You might catch a disease. You might have unwanted memories later on. What he's saying is this, that sexual sin has a unique way of not only affecting the world around us and the things outside of us, but it has a way of affecting the inner man, the inner woman. And he's saying flee from those things. Any Jewish person who would read Paul's letter to the church in Corinth and would hear this, they might think back to some of the people in the Jewish heritage. They might think all the way back to Joseph, where Joseph was this great model of a guy who in tough circumstances still made a right choice. You see, he was a guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers were jealous of him. They didn't like him. They thought he just was overly ambitious. And so what they do, they sold him into slavery. So he becomes a household slave in a guy named Potiphar's house. 
and he's at Potiphar's house, and he basically is doing a great job. So Potiphar puts him in charge of the other slaves that are in the house. He's like the, the manager of these guys. He's doing a great job. Only problem is Potiphar's wife has a thing for Joseph. And she keeps coming to him day after day and saying, sleep with me. Come on, lie down with me. Sleep with me. And he's resisting. And one day in the middle of the day, the Bible tells us, she came to him and she grabbed a hold of him and said, come sleep with me. And he basically just ran out of his outer cloak. He just ran, it's like, like his jacket pulled off and he ran out of the house. He made a right decision. What did he do? He fled sexual immorality and he ran out of the house while she, in her rejection and shame, suddenly cries rape. Joseph is arrested. He's sent off to prison. And let me tell you, sometimes when you flee sexual temptation, or I do, it will be misunderstood by other people. He made a right decision. They would elevate him. Joseph made a great call not to sleep with Potiphar's wife. But like Andy Stanley likes to say, he goes, the scriptures, let's be honest, the scriptures don't tell us what Potiphar's wife actually looked like. She might have been creepy. She might, all of us might have ran away from her, right? We don't know. But the intent of the passage, obviously, is that when he could have made a decision that wasn't great, he ran away. He made the right decision. Later in Jewish history, you have King David. King David is out uh, on his, uh, his palace. And the palace is at the top edge of the city of David, the, the hill side that, compro- that, that made up the, the city of David. It's the topmost thing on the hill. The temple had not yet been built up on where they later would build the temple mount in Jerusalem. So he's at the top of the hill in his area. All the houses and everything are down below him. And his armies are off fighting in war where he should be with them fighting the battle. But he said, you know, I fought a lot of battles. I'm just going to take this season off. And so he's sitting at home. He goes out on his his balcony at night overlooking the city, and he sees a young woman, a young wife, bathing naked, and he summons her. Now let me tell you something. When the king summons someone in those days, in that age, you had to do what the king wanted you to do. He brings her into his inner chamber, and he makes love to this woman. Let's be honest. He probably, much older than her at this point in time in his life, he just took advantage of her, and she can't do anything about it. So she goes back. She sends word, I'm pregnant. So David then goes on to commit another sin by murdering her husband to try to cover up that he's actually the dad. We have two examples. One where maybe you should be out doing what you're supposed to do, but you sit out there on the balcony and you indulge your lust. And sometimes people are like, well, she shouldn't have been on the roof bathing naked. But if you understand anything about first century houses, the bathing area was on the roof and the highest thing in the area was the palace. And so in reality, she's doing what all people do in an area that's probably private from her neighbors, but the palace is up above that and David's just out there indulging his lust and acting on it. So now Paul is telling Timothy, flee, run away from, flee sexual sin. But he doesn't just stop there. There are other things that are the evil desires of youth that you and I ought to watch out for that Scripture addresses. Another one would be that you and I should flee selfish ambition. See, there's noble ambition. It's a noble thing for a, uh, a man to say, I would like to 
rule in a church as an overseer. I would like to aspire to being an overseer. That's a noble ambition. But there's another side of ambition that's scary, and that's vaulting ambition. That's selfish ambition. That's the ambition that runs over a business relationship for selfish gain. That's the ambition that runs ahead of everybody else. That's the arrogance of ambition. And we're to flee that. You might need to, in your own life, flee stubbornness and arrogance. The scriptures tell us time and again, don't be like our ancestors who were stiff-necked. What does stiff-necked mean? Stubborn, resistant, locked up. But instead, let the word of God speak to you. Be open to it. Be teachable. When the word of God speaks, you say, that should have claim on my life. When it tells me to flee the evil desires of youth, when it tells me to flee sexual immorality, that I, should, I need to be open to that. I let, need to let the word of God have claim in my life. You need to flee giving full vent to your anger. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, the nice thing about that is it doesn't say don't be angry. You're going to be angry. I'm going to be angry. But isn't there a difference between when you're angry and then you give full vent to your anger? Scripture says, in your anger, oh, you're going to be angry. But don't sin. Don't give full vent to that anger that just affects everybody outside of you and around you. And maybe you feel better for a second. But you've caused a wake of destruction. Flee, run away from that. Run away from those kind of things. We should run away from the love of money. And the key word here is love. The love of money. In the previous book that Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. What's he saying? Listen, he's saying this. Flee from the love of money. The love of money is selfish. It's, it's not really the love of money. It's what money you think can get you. And the truth is, you and I do this. We're either going to love and trust God, or we're going to love and trust money. It's one of the two. You have to choose. Who are you going to put your security in? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to love and honor and trust God? Or are you going to love and honor and trust money? But people have wandered away from loving and honoring and trusting God, and they pursued the love of money, and it's caused a lot of griefs on them. So what are we to do? We're to run away from greediness. We're to run away from greed. The only way to do that is to be generous, by the way. You want to break greed in your life? You be generous. It starts to break the love of self, the love of money. you got to be generous, and it's hard to be generous at first. But then you realize how good generosity looks on you. How you see God work in your life. How you begin to see that when you honor him with the first, that he comes along and lets you go farther with the 90% than you do with the 10. God is good. He'll bless the rest. But at first, there's a holding on. But what happens? Instead, we should run away from, so here's the love of money. I need to run away from the love of money, and I need to run towards some things. He said, pursue. What does he say, pursue? He says, pursue righteousness. So I should be righteous with how I handle my money. I should do what's right with my money. I should pursue godliness with my money, faith with my money, belief, that's belief that God's going to meet your needs. I should pursue love with my money, that I leverage my money for the love, a sacrificial love like God. I should produce endurance in how I handle my money. I should produce gentleness 
and how I leverage the resources that God's given me. So we run away from one thing, but we run toward things that are even better. We're to flee from one, but we're to run after things that are even better. Another one the Bible talks about is the, that we should flee is idolatry. Idolatry. Say, what's idolatry? That's anything that draws you to worship it over or against the Lord. Idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee it. Run away from it. I want to suggest to you that oftentimes the biggest idol in your life is you. Because it's the heart that gets hardened that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. Whether it's with my resources or my body or my mind or my activity. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so what you're doing is you're, you're elevating your worshiping self over or against the Lord. The God of our culture, the new God, lowercase g of our culture. We like to name it here, as I please. And that's what idolatry is, right? Just doing as you please Instead of as the Lord instructs, instead of pursuing something better, you run after and end up bumping into yourself. Number eight, we're to flee foolish and stupid arguments. Foolish and stupid arguments. In verse 14 of the same chapter here in 2 Timothy, Paul has already instructed that you and I are to stop and avoid quarreling about words. Later in verse 16, we're to avoid godless chatter, otherwise you become more and more ungodly. What's the fruit of all this godless chatter? You become more and more ungodly. And now, after verse 22, in verse 23, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Well, what in the world are foolish and stupid arguments? Because, you know, it might actually be an important issue, but, but someone else may think it's stupid. Or they may think it's foolish. So, so how do you determine what exactly is a foolish or stupid argument? This is when you or I argue about things that are not ultimately important. They are not ultimately important. And so often you and I are arguing and fighting and contesting over things that matter very little. And what do they produce? They produce quarrels. The, the real word for quarrels, if you translate it out, it means this. It means heated arguments heated controversies that's what it means it means heated controversies so what's the result of your of your foolish arguing your your stupid arguments is that it, all it's going to produce it's not going to produce a fix it's not going to be reasonable and produce change it's just going to produce quarrels that's it and sometimes you get in a situation where you are quarreling and fighting over stupid stuff and it just takes the person who perceives himself as being the more godly person to step back from it first, to say, I'm sorry first, to pull away from that first. The more mature person typically should do that. Paul says avoid them, have nothing to do with them. Most of our culture has heated controversies about things that don't really matter. Have you noticed? They make a big deal about things that even just given a little time aren't that big deal at all. Have you noticed? It happens all the time, right? Let me tell you something. Jesus never gave in all of his scripture a dissertation on Roman politics and their oppressive abuse of the Jewish culture. 
Yet that was a huge issue to the Jewish people Jesus was ministering to and one and was his heritage in the day. It was the biggest issue of their day. How do we get the Romans out of town? How do we have Jews leading and overseeing and running our nation without the interference of the Romans? It was so heated that the zealots would go out, go into culture, and they would actually stab people. They would try to attack the Romans and just do guerrilla warfare, if you will. That's how heated that controversy was. Jesus hardly paid attention. He was focused on the kingdom of God come to earth to satisfy what is ultimately important, that he came to be a suffering servant, to give his life as a ransom for many, to buy you. You're not your own. Your body is the Lord's, and he paid for it on the cross. All of our sin, God's righteous wrath, put upon Jesus at that time. And he paid for it on the cross. He focused on what was essential. He didn't get caught up when the Pharisees or others baited him to get involved in a foolish or a stupid controversy or argument. Jesus, listen, didn't give enough clarity on end times. People always want to, like, if, if we ever poll people, say, hey, what do you want to hear? Like in sermons, they'll be like, oh, teach on the end times. But guess what? Jesus didn't even give enough information on the end times to qualify it as something that's super essential. He didn't even give enough clear. He could have been very clear about the end times. But again, he was focused on what was ultimately important, not on something that oftentimes can be a distraction. The Bible can speak for itself in regard to end time. Jesus didn't solve while he was here. He didn't solve poverty. He didn't solve hunger. At times he fed hungry people. At times he encouraged the church and others to meet the needs of the poor. He didn't end depression. He launches a church, and the heart of God is to help those who are oppressed, but it doesn't mean we're going to end every oppression. Jesus focused on what was essential, and in doing so, he loved people. He did not compromise the truth. He did not get sucked into their foolish or stupid arguments, and he kept on mission. Well, let me qualify this for you a little bit. You say, so Dave, so we can't argue about anything? Like we're just supposed to be like blind thinkers? No. Hate error, but love the person. Hate error, but love the person. Bob Goff said it this way. He says, you can be correct and still not be right. Oh, you can be correct. But in your manner, in the way that you treat people, you may not be right. Reggie Joyner said it this way, as we've studied before. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then there's something wrong with your beliefs. Jesus addressed error all the time, but he loved people. He didn't compromise his beliefs, he addressed it. So we're to address it. We're just not supposed to get in foolish and heated controversies over dumb things. He addressed things that were essential, and he corrected the error. But his manner was in a way of loving people. Second, not all controversies are forbidden, just foolish ones that result in quarrels. So not all controversies. In fact, Paul goes on and says, all right, Timothy, here's what you're going to do when controversy comes up in your church. Here's what you're going to do when you meet divisive people. He says this, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Listen, opponents must be gently what? instructed is he avoiding controversy no if you're wading in and in a gentle way instructing and correcting the error then you're loving people and you're addressing it 
here, why? Why would we do that? Why do we wade in? Why do we be clear about what is true? In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We're to address error, but we're to love people in the process. And so often you think, I don't have a voice, I can't say something because, you know, and here's how you say it best. You love and you speak, but you don't let your speaking turn into non-loving. You don't go troll people who just, you make the world try to think just like you think and act just like you act and believe everything you believe. But you do address the error but you do it in a gentle way, an instructive way so that they will turn and not be taken captive by the devil to do the devil's work. This last week, uh, my boys called me and they said, Dad, 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 there's a fire that's uh, going on and, and it's so high, it's here in Elk Grove, and, and the, fi- the flames are so high, they're above the trees, they're saying, but it's a little ways away. So I go out and I look and I can see where the smoke is going up and I'm like, oh, that's big. So I grab my camera and I zip out there, I'm like, you know, fire chasing. And so I, I go out and, and I, I don't know if you saw it, but I'm going to put a picture up here of the, this dark smoke. So here's uh, just down south here of Elk Grove, there's a big feed uh, warehouse and production company for, uh, for agricultural feed. And so this thing is going up. And right now, the smoke is way less. Like, it was straight up with flames, super high. And it was just going. So I don't want to get too close, right? Because I see that and I think, man, I don't know what's in that building. If that's a fertilizer place... I'm not getting close. If it's burning, it might blow up, you know, most of the area. And so I'm going to stay back. Well, I pull over next to this guy who also is watching and taking pictures. And he said, you know, I'm on the phone with my wife, and the Channel 3 News was covering it. And he goes, uh, it's a bunch of pallets, just huge stacks of pallets out behind this place that are, that are burning. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, that's great. I'm going closer. So, but as I'm sitting there, right, going past me, even if it's a fertilizer factory, going past me are fire engines just running they're running toward the smoke i'm staying back in case it's really really bad right but they're running toward it and will you just do me a favor will you give a hand to first responders man all the time you might be a police officer fire department ambulance i mean whatever you are you are running toward the danger and and it's it's scary i mean you're the right one to handle the danger when you run toward it i'm not but as I learned that it was, it was just pallets burning, and, and I thought, okay, they haven't blocked everything off. I'll get a little closer. So I have a second picture for you. I pulled around back, and you can see the smoke has changed, hasn't it? It's just white smoke now. It's not black, thick smoke anymore. All the carbon's not being consumed. These guys are containing it. They're doing their job. They're doing a great job. And I take a picture of this, and, and, and here's what I want you to point out to you. When you and I run away from the danger When we run away from the evil desires of youth, we run away and we run toward righteousness. We run toward doing what is correct. God has a way of putting out the fire. He's saying, my power is going to run toward it. My power is going to run and intercede. I'm going to be your rear guard. I'm going to take what used to be uncontrollable for you. And my power is going to come in as you not just run away from it, but run toward what is better My power, the power of God, is going to start to put the smoke out. Do you understand what God does? But if we don't depend on God's power, we run in a circle and we bump right back into ourselves, don't we? Well, what am I to run towards? 
In fact, the word there is pursue. The word in Greek is, is D-O-K, and what it means is to aim for. It's this idea that if you're an archer, you're going to aim and want to hit dead center, not near it, not in the general area. You want to hit your target. In the same way, it's like being in hot pursuit of. Picture for me, if you will, like a police chase, and that police officer is after a car. They are in hot pursuit, and they do not want to let the car get away. They're going to stay on it every turn, right? It's not going to get away from me. And what he's saying is flee the evil desires of youth, but get in hot pursuit, pursue some things that are far better. Well, what things are those things that are better? You and I are to chase after some things. So what are the four marks of a Christ follower that Paul gives us here in 2 Timothy chapter 2? One is we pursue righteousness. What's righteousness? It's the opposite of sin. What's the right thing to do? Listen, if you want to know what the right thing to do is, ask yourself this question. When you're tempted, when you're tested, when you're tried, ask yourself this question. What is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do in this situation? And do that. Do the right thing. So not sin, but pursue righteousness. The second thing that we get in hot pursuit after is faith. That I don't see how it's going to work out. I don't see all how it's going to go. But I believe that the power of God as I pursue him, that God's going to show up. So I don't trust Dave. I trust God and I pursue him. So neither doubt nor self-reliance. We're going to trust God in faith. Three, love. Love is not selfish. So love is the opposite. Love is often sacrificial. So you're going to run away from the evil desires of youth that want to indulge self, and you're going to pursue in hot pursuit of sacrificial love like Jesus that loves other people. Things that are ultimately, in the scope of eternity, important. And the last one is peace. See, it's not fighting. It's not division. It's not controversy. It's not quarreling. So much of our culture causes you and I to run toward quarreling. You woke up, it wasn't an issue for you. Suddenly they're like, hey, here's a new issue that you need. And they'll come and say, here's a new thing you should be afraid of in your life. Yesterday you were fine about it, but let me tell you one more thing to fear. By the way, there's something else out in culture you need to fear. And you got to be scared of this. And you should pursue and run after that. And they begin to give both all those things. Here's what you need to be afraid of, but here's the wrong things you need to pursue. That's what the news does, right? So often that's what makes news. Let's raise controversy. And a year from now you're like, that was kind of stupid. That was kind of foolish. I didn't need to be afraid of that. Y2K? Some of you are old enough to remember. But what if we flee the evil desires of youth and we pursue, we run after, we aim for peace? How many of you could do with a lot more peace in your life? Listen, we've got to run after it. It doesn't just come to you. Run away from the evil desires of youth, all that self-induced stress, and begin to run toward something better. So we not only need to pursue these things, but we need to pursue them in good company. What does he say? Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Listen, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, what is he saying? You're not supposed to run and aim alone. You need to run with others. For others who are pursuing the same thing, you need a brotherhood. You need a sisterhood. You need people around you. You need a circle in your life, not just to sit in rows. But you need to flee the evil desires of youth and begin to pursue these things with 
people who are doing the same. Listen, some of you need better friends because your friends are running the other way all the time. They are pursuing the evil desires of youth and you are getting carried along. They are pursuing fear. They are pursuing controversy. They are arguing and trolling and always having drama and, and you need better friends. Andy Stanley says that your friends will determine the direction of your life, but listen, also the quality of your life. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. Like the quality of what you're living, the, your, your quality of living. So much of that is not like the kind of food you eat, the quality of your living. So much of that is the experience you have with life. And you need to pursue people who are pursuing love and righteousness and faith and purity and peace. Sometimes we take our friends, we don't get rid of them, we just put them outside that circle of influence and we, we move better friends right into the key influencers in our life. That way we still influence our friends who are lost, who don't know better, who, who just, they, they don't know any better. But our life begins to shine as a model that we pursue peace and hope and love and all these things and, and we avoid those things and we have good reasons why and all of a sudden they're like, I don't have what you have. And they're not so concerned with what it is you have. They want Jesus because they start seeing Jesus in you. You want your life on fire? Then practice this. It's on your outline at the bottom. It says this. The secret of holiness is the relentless rejection of sin coupled with the relentless pursuit of righteousness. Do you see it? Run away from the snake but run towards something better. And God's given us that. And he says, my power then has a way to deal with the snake, to deal with the smoke, to deal with those things. But pursue me. Stop relying simply on yourself and pursue me with other people who are doing the same. You want your life to get on fire for Christ? Then run away from the things that trap you and run toward the things that are better. Run with people who are going the right direction in your life. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I simply want you to consider your own life. If you are already, you said, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've invited him to be my Lord and Savior. I, I love him. I, I have followed him. Then right now, this is a moment for you just to be honest with God. Which of these things has God's Holy Spirit this morning just pointed out to you that you've been running toward and God's asking you to run away and run to him? Will you just be honest with him about that? This is your moment of decision. God, I decide. I decide to stop pursuing and running away after these things. I'm going to run toward you. Will you tell him now? Some of the others of you in this room, you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ. You never maybe understood that Jesus died on the cross taking all your sin upon himself and that he's done all the work to let you be in heaven. He's done all the work to wash you as white as snow. He's done all the work to forgive you of your sin. But he says, you have to accept the gift that I'm offering you. It's a free gift. I've done all the work, but you have to take it. I don't force you to take it. You have to choose. You must choose. There must be a moment of choice in your life where you say, I want relationship with you, Jesus. I follow you. And so with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's you today, then you pray a prayer like this right where you're seated. You just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose to new life because you're God. I ask you to come into my life 
and forgive me of all my sin, making me a new creation. Wash me as white as snow because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.